Hello, intrepid listeners. This is the Generation Playlist Podcast, a podcast about music where we are your guides through a particular group or artist. We talk about the music that you love and we love, and then we make a customized playlist to share with you, our listeners. I'm your guide, Justin, along with Ted. Now, we're not musicians or professionals, but we reserve the right to get really excited and burst into song. Please join us on Generation Playlist Podcast. You can check us out wherever you listen to podcasts and find our playlists on Spotify. Two. And welcome, everybody, to Generation Playlist. I am your first host, Justin, along with... I am Ted. Hey, what's going on? Not much. How are you? Good, man. We are we're going over your pick. Um, you, you sprung this one on me after we did our Prince episode, and uh, this is Nirvana, who's uh, one of your all-time favorites, correct? Yes, they're definitely one of my all-time favorites. They uh, uh, a brief, but um, they they shone like a uh, like a rocket, and uh, oh yeah, gone gone much too quickly. But out of them spawned the uh, the greatness that we know now is, uh, and the national treasure that we know now is Dave Grohl. So yeah, yeah, and um, I mean, he's he's been in everything, you know, from from movies and music videos, and uh, I saw him induct Rush into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, you know? <laughs> it's like this is just amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, he's. He's a true national treasure. Um, and so you're not a fan of Chad Channing. Um, you know, <laughs> he, he's for the, for the longest time, he's always been the third guy in Nirvana. And it <laughs> seems like that that's kind of just how he likes it. And, and uh, um, so, but yeah, he's sure a good he made, guy. He too. made some money. I'm sure, you know, Oh, I'm sure he's doing much. He's doing very well for himself. <laughs> so, um, well, let's let's talk about the band. Um, I'm literally just going to quote Wikipedia on this. Nirvana was an American rock band formed in Aberdeen, Washington, in 1987, founded by lead singer and guitarist Kurt Cobain, bassist uh, Chris Novoselic. The band went through a succession of drummers, most notably Chad Channing, before recruiting Dave Grohl in 1990. Their success was popularized uh, alternative rock slash grunge. I would say I've also seen sludge grunge. I've seen it described mm-hmm. as as like a punk in certain spots too and they were often referenced as the figurehead band of generation x their music maintains a popular following and continues to influence modern rock culture now they had one um addition in um was it 93 they had a is it pat smear right yeah and he came on as their second guitarist um probably so kurt could do just more of the vocal stuff and uh he actually is uh, in the current lineup right now of of Foo Fighters, so you know he's oh, yeah. one someone who has uh, continued to work with Dave Grohl, the the national treasure Dave Grohl, I'll call right. him. So. Yes. <laughs> um. So yeah, no, they've there's a couple of different iterations, but you know, Kurt is Kurt is the man who in the '90s loomed over everybody in that group he was the front man he was the voice um some some people have called him the voice of generation x um i don't know how far you could go with that but 
I know his music. Uh, they changed everything because the moment the moment smells like Teen Spirit debuted on MTV was the moment that I I can't remember which which band if it was Motley Crue or Poison I was listening to an interview with them and they said the moment that they saw smells like teen spirit on MTV they knew that they were done <laughs> and that and that the, the whole um the whole idea of 80s hair metal and the Sunset Boulevard uh, scene would be uh, forever put into the background. Um, yeah, yeah, and like, so your Motley Crue's, your Poison, you know, Cinderella, I don't know, Skid Row, right. you know, a, a lot of these guys. Not Bon, uh, not John Bon Jovi, which is like a, probably a huge misconception. It's like he he kind of transcended that. So, you know, yeah. always packed them in. They were just hair. <laughs> yeah, they were they just, just hair. They, just they weren't hair. Metal. they weren't hair metal. <laughs> yeah, so we'll call you know, hair, he... hair pop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually. That's that's probably I like that hair pop. We should we should coin that. So. Yeah. <laughs> but it it's it's funny too because like the thing about Nirvana is that there's such an allusion to the Beatles, you know? Right. Like um the way that it's like he syncs up with John and, you know, Dave kind of syncs up with Paul and like their careers and the way everything's gone to the point where Paul McCartney's played with the rest of Nirvana, you know, on right. Saturday Night Live and stuff like that. It's like it's there's so many things where you could be like, holy crap, this is literally the second coming of the friggin Beatles. Right. No, you're you're exactly right. I mean, uh, the the writing and Kurt is, in my opinion, a very underrated guitarist. Um, some of the stuff is not the most complex, but it's um, it's very effective. It's very soulful. And you look at some of the influences. I, I know that uh, we'll talk about when we talk about the, the un, Unplugged Live album. Like They covered like Lead Belly yep. and, um, and some of the other blues guitarists. That's a country uh, song too. Yeah, <laughs> that was like, right. wow. Wait a minute. <laughs> so there's a huge. While it sounds, you know, the whole idea that it's grunge, or alternative, or sludge grunge, or whatever you want to deem it as, it's it has a root that is distinctively blues, and yeah. um. An undertone and, of punk, for sure. Oh, definitely. It's can I play it louder and faster? Yeah. It's the whole Ramon, the whole Ramones and Iggy Pop uh, anthem of I can play it louder and I can play it faster than you, and um, that's what they were doing. They, um, they just weren't quite as angry as the punk guys were. They're, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a soulfulness in in their stuff, and and it's a thoughtfulness. And and right. when you have songs that like they're like, oh wait a minute, we're not about sexism, and we're not about right. you know misogyny, and we're not about like uh, 
uh, hip, being hypocrites in earning things monetarily and stuff like that. Like we want to, we want to be artists. And right. I mean, that's like everything that I listen to in preparation for this, it has integrity. Right. And I don't no, think you're, a lot of you're right. artists can say that, you know? No. And that's, and that's what really came out of what uh, Cameron Crowe, the writer and director who famously wrote for Rolling Stone, um, really touched upon when he coined the, the term, the Seattle, the Seattle sound. Oh, you're, you're going I, back you got, to the singles movie. <laughs> yeah. The singles. I mean, there was a lot, I mean, there's a lot of it there and yep. you talk about, you talk about groups that um, like Pearl Jam and um, of course, Chris Cornell and Soundgarden. Temple of the um, Dog. <laughs> yep. Yeah, Temple of the Dog and you, Alice in Chains. I mean, there's, there's a soulfulness and there's a, it's not necessarily pain, but there's an artistic quality there that absolutely you know, that had kind of been lost in the eighties to just, you know, mass produced um, music essentially is I, I totally get that packaged. Yeah. I mean, you look at, you said John Bon Jovi, Bon Jovi was cool, but it, was there anything that was really, can you say that there was a song there that moved you and, you know, like was, it was very prepackaged. And then yeah. of course you had the, the start of the boy band phase with like new kids on the block, just completely. Menudo. Yeah. yeah. Menudo just completely prepackaged insert random white guy here. Uh, well, this was the end of, of new wave too, you know, right. so new wave and into alternative. And I mean, we, we had talked about this on our Metallica episode and all that. I feel like you had your early metal and, and you had like the early eighties stuff, like maybe Judas priest and motorhead and stuff like that. And then it goes into thrash with your Metallica, Megadeth slayers. And then um, you get into, whatever was going on in the late eighties. Cause at that point it had, it had just kind of moved on and like, we hadn't even seen Pantera yet. So it's like, what's right. going on, what's going on with metal. So it's like, all right, you've got rock and roll with Aerosmith, you know, putting out pump and you've got Van Halen just switching over to, um, to, um, you know, um, Hagar and right. rock and roll is kind of like, we don't know what we're doing right now. And that's when hair metal comes in and it's all about excess, like the eighties. And it's all about like, right. we're going to get chicks and we're going to get drunk. And it's like, all right, that was the movement. And these guys resisted that because they're like, Hey, we want to write songs about what we want to write about. And they sure did. And they're like, well, remember punk? Cause we like punk. And they're like, remember right. blues? Cause we're going to put this as blues. No, yeah, exactly. It's it was a it was a thing that hair metal was gonna was gonna die eventually because I mean it like you said, excess can only handle for so long. And the at the rate that they were 
churning through bands too. And you just think of all the the one hit wonder. Oh yeah, hair metal hair metal bands. I mean, we'll probably do a hair metal episode. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. I mean, there because there's a and here again, let's not. I'm not gonna throw too much shade on that because there's a lot of that that I like. Um, I actually like Motley Crue quite a lot, quite a bit, but something need to, something needed to change. There needed to be substance. Yeah. And substance had been lost for so long that, um, these guys from Seattle filled a void that was definitely needed and brought a voice, um, and you know it's it's interesting too, because a lot of the music they say is so dark and brooding, but it's also look at look at the how the weather is in Seattle. You know it's <laughs> yeah. it's generally it's generally rainy and it's demo, it's more demure and it's more you know cloudy and dark as well, and it's like well there's a lot of you get a lot of that in in these bands music. And I think that's because it's the environment that they, they grew up when it fostered that creative spirit. That's a little bit more serious. The other interesting thing that I find about this is listening to this. I listened to a lot of groups that covered Nirvana and nothing sounds like Nirvana without Kurt singing. It's just right. not as it doesn't work without Kurt singing, you know. You can and and I mean you can. There's some that are okay, but you know. Yeah, you can try to replicate the um, the guitar, the guitars, and um, and the the drum beats, but Kurt had a unique voice, and it's um, and no anything that's been redone just doesn't that's why you don't see a lot of nirvana cover bands yeah because it's like well not only because they they have a limited um limited set release but it's hard it's hard to get that exact the way he the phrasing of it's not just the lyrics, it's the phrasing of the lyrics to the music that mm-hmm. he had a particular way to do it that was kind of unique to himself. And it set him apart from and set them apart from everybody else as well. And what made him an, an epic, an epic star, unfortunately, a victim of the 27 Club. Yeah. So, um, which, if anybody doesn't know what the 27 Club is, the 27 Club believes that that the when an artist turns 27, um, that if they've achieved a certain level of stardom, that they're cursed, and that they they pad they die. You look at some notable some notable people into that. It's Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin, right off the top. Um, there's River the original Phoenix, found, yep, River Phoenix, and then there's um, 
the one of the lead, the founding members of the Rolling Stones was in part of the 27 Club. Um, and really the guy who started out the 27 Club, Robert Johnson, the Delta Bluesman who supposedly sold his soul at the crossroads. At the crossroads, yep. um, <laughs> yep. um, And so, yeah, it's uh, it seems to be a real thing. I mean, Amy Winehouse is probably the she's probably the most recent inductee into the 27 club. Hmm. Um, but you know, I still, I don't know about you, but when I first heard of Kurt's suicide, I mean, it shook me like few things had before. It was like one of the first times that I was just jarred by somebody passing away. And I was, I was, I mean, I was devastated. I remember I, I was a, and from like age nine, I delivered papers for our, my local newspaper. And it was a Saturday morning and um, I would come home because we I delivered the papers early in the morning and then would come home and, you know, get, get my bowl of cereal and sit in front of MTV and watch the top 10 videos of the week. And which they played at the uh, time, which they played at the time. Yeah. They yeah. still played music. Um, and they would usually play that. They would play the top 10 from like seven to eight in the morning, uh, central standard time. And, um, and then I just remember them saying that they were coming live from Seattle and, uh, and he was dead. I just, I couldn't believe it. And it's hard to believe even to this day. I think that's why there's so many conspiracy theories running around yeah. about his death. Yeah, you had mentioned a couple um, things about that that were inconsistent. Yeah. And, you know. yeah, it depends on who you listen to. Um, a lot of people, uh, a lot of people blame Courtney Love, his wife, um, who notoriously has had her fair share of run-ins with um, drugs. I mean, and that and that's something else that we can't be overlooked with Kurt. Yeah. And and especially the whole grunge scene was oh definitely was inundated by heroin. And yeah. um, and I mean, how many of them are not lit with us anymore? Lane uh, right. Lane Staley, Lane Staley uh, from uh, from Alice in Chains, another Chains, one. I mean, yeah. he 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 died in his house, and they didn't find him for a week because he overdosed. Right. You know? Yep. And um, Chris Cornell undoubtedly then, been touched by it. Yeah. Uh, Scott Weiland, Scott Weiland, yeah, yeah, he's probably the king of them. You know, <laughs> yeah, like... and she, I was, yeah, I was going to mention Shannon Hoon too. Um, even though Blind Melon is probably, you could probably say that they're alternative. Um, yeah, that, weren't they? They from that area? And, I don't know. Yeah, but... yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, it was, it was after Kurt. It was like, it was almost like dominoes fell. 
Yeah. And heroin Bradley just Dwell started taking... from uh, Sublime. You know? Right. That's another another one is yeah, it's just it was it seemed like it was one after another after that. And uh but you know the legacy that Kurt has left is one of there's a reason that we're talking in 2023 we're still going to talk about Nirvana is because of the immense impact that the shooting star had on literally changing music and uh, produced some of the great music. Uh, do you remember where you were when you heard about Kurt? You know, the only thing I remember about it was Kurt Loader. You know, Kurt Loader mm-hmm. coming through with that um, MTV News report. And I know right. that's where I heard it. I think um, I'm not sure if I had cable at the time or not, but it was it was Kurt Loader on the news station, like the regular you know news station. It's like, can you see Kurt Loader? You know, um, coming up and Kurt Cobain has been found. Well, you know, and and that's right. that's really the only part I remember of it. And, and yeah. it it did shake us a little bit, but Nirvana was not my jam. It wasn't something that it's like, oh, this is in my regular rotation, like. I was I was listening to Weird Al off the deep end and not listening to uh, <laughs> and not listening to Nevermind. You know, it's like I like that. That was just kind of how I rolled, you know, at, at that point. And I was 13. So, right. You know, it was like, all right, I was just getting into like what I like for music. So it, right. it has its own cultural significance rather than, you know, like, oh, this is this hit me because I'm a fan of his music. It's like it it didn't because i i wasn't like i liked smells like teen spirit and i liked smells like nirvana you know and and that was that was right. that but you know it, it and didn't. that's yeah. and then that's interesting because a lot of people don't know how weird al gets his parody songs and weird al always goes and um he approaches the artist first and has a sit down with them and gives them a proposal for the idea for one of their songs. And um, Kurt thought it was a joke. He didn't think that Weird Al was that. Um, so he initially was said no. He, but then he realized that it was uh, it was legitimately Weird Al. And um, he ended up being on board, on board with it. And uh, yeah, it's it's a good story. It's one that I believe I I I'm pretty sure if memory serves me correct, I've heard that that's one of the stories that Weird Al tells on stage before they play the song. Um, he talks about how meeting Kurt and. And know how that all went down. Um, I think he called is, him on the set of Saturday Night Live when they were performing. Yeah, and that's yeah. where he, that's where he asked him, and he's like, he's like, yeah, okay, well, that was interesting, you know. Yeah, and um, but you know, it's yeah, it, I mean, I remember too. The you talked about Kurt Loader. I remember when they read the suicide note. Um, 
on the air on MTV. And just, I mean, just gut-wrenching. But this isn't, this is more of an honorarium for them. Yeah. As a group, not a, just a a trip down the unfortunate memory lane. And I really don't want to get into a lot of the conspiracy theories because people are, people, people have their own camps that they live in with that, that, um, they don't even, some people can never be moved off of, off of their opinion. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that that's another thing to the Beatles where they think about like Courtney Love and Yoko Ono. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Ex- except many people don't believe that Yoko killed John. But yeah. there well, are that's... people. <laughs> there are some people. There are some people. And I think somebody who might be listening to this knows who I'm talking to. I'm talking to them that believes that, that she might have pushed John in front of. Mark David oh, Chapman. So, um, <laughs> and I think you know who that person might yeah, be as I'm well. Yeah, I'm sure I know who that is. Um, so, a shout out to him. Um, but, uh, and we say that very tongue in cheek. Um, I but, I have a question for you, uh, Ted. Um, going on, um, we're we're talking about about Kurt, and then there's there's two other really prominent members. You got Dave Grohl and you got Chris Novoselic. Did you ever right. get into any of their side projects that they got? Foo Fighters, Foo Fighters, and you know I'm a huge Dave Grohl fan. Um, I believe he was in a he was in a super group called Them Crooked Vultures. I yep, think they put with, out uh, one, John Paul Jones. Yeah, John Paul Jones, and I believe it was was it the lead singer of Queens of the Stone Age. Oh, really? Okay. Um, yeah i I thoroughly like them. Um, Nova Selleck, not so much. I just have, he's never I think I, outside he went into of Nirvana. politics at one point too, you know? I think so. Yeah. yeah. If memory I, serves I me he, correct. He still performs with Nirvana, you know, the group. And, and I mean, yeah. they, they've gotten permission to do this. So, you know, and they'll show up on like a Christmas special for Saturday Night Live or something like that and play with Paul McCartney and all that, which is amazing to see yeah you know it's like that's great and you know and my ex-wife's family uh fam family part of their family moved to arizona and uh my ex-wife's sister who's a lot younger than us um but just absolutely we have a lot of the similar tastes and music and everything um hopefully she'll come on and be a, a guest with us um she's expressed that interest oh cool. um, but well, she's yeah. welcome to come <laughs> and um her and her now husband were at coachella the night that was for the surprise uh nirvana um reunion no kidding and i have to i have to say I'm not jealous of a whole lot. <laughs> there are there are a few things, and they generally re, resolve, re, revolve around musical things that I'm jealous of. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I would have been able to stop crying to see that um, at Coachella because of just what 
Nirvana meant to me. And, you know, he's without Kurt, you know, it's, but to see, to see Nirvana's music being played again by Chris Novacelic and, and Dave Grohl and it means, it means a lot. It means a lot to somebody our age, especially, you know, my age as well, that it's, um, it's, it's huge. And it's, it's good that it's not, it's not dying. Um, yeah, this, this was the soundtrack of my high school before like gangster rap took oh, over. Yeah. It, it, right. And that was like, that was like the beginning part of high school for me. And then the end part and the beginning part was literally like, everybody liked Nirvana and that was, that was a thing. And, you know, everybody had the little cassette tape because I'm that old of nevermind <laughs> in their, in their uh, front pouch of their backpack with their, their uh, Sony Walkman. So it's, it was everywhere. And yeah. I mean, I, I, I could understand it, but it, it's funny too, because it's like this group, like as you get a little bit older now, it's like when I drop my kids off at school, you see so many kids in Nirvana t-shirts and all that they've become just yes. part of the zeitgeist and it's just it represents something other than the music you know it's not like they're not doing it for fashion they're doing it because it's like this represents me as you know going against the grain or being like an outcast or something like nirvana was about and that's really right. more of why the kids wear it now and sounds like an old man yeah. still it's like no you ask them what exactly. their favorite song is they have no idea yeah right and, you know, my, in preparations for doing this, you know, I listen to a lot of Nirvana and, um, taking my daughter to school, she's 12 and it's like, generally it doesn't want to have really any interaction with me, um, being dropped off at school just <laughs> as a I normal thing. But yeah, I think everybody can has a. 12 year old daughter and um it's when i when i put nirvana on it was like her her spidey senses went up and she's a she's like who's this what is this um because her favorite band right now she'll if you ask her she'll tell you it's acdc nice and um yeah and it's actually <laughs> luckily she didn't get in trouble with the uh, with the teacher, but she wore a ACDC retro concert T-shirt to school one day, and the teacher started to tease her and was like, "Oh, I bet you don't even know who they are, and or do you know any of their songs?" and and she ripped off like half of the ACDC live albums worth of songs, and he was like, "Oh, okay," <laughs> and my daughter's <laughs> like, "Yeah." She goes, yeah, that shut him up. It's like, come on now, I can't say that. But, um, but no, she, her spidey senses went up when I put Nirvana on, and I could see her getting into it, and uh, and that that makes me that makes me happy too, because it's like you know, certain bands, and we don't always know which ones. But then there are certain bands that you know will last the test of time, and yeah. um, and Nirvana seems to be one of those uh, one of those bands. And you know when we talked a lot because 
here again, I know we talked like with Prince and um, like MTV played such a huge role in Nirvana and the whole grunge movement. Um, it's like you can't go without saying because MTV now is not anything like what no. MTV, MTV what was. It <laughs> yeah, it's, it's now it's just it's a I, I don't even know. It's a it's a garbage can for garbage TV. And um, they there, there was one particular show that they had on. And this is I know we kind of like to highlight a particular show of, of a band and things like that. And while there were so many with like Prince, like the halftime show. The thing that was Nirvana's thing, and it and I can honestly say that I knew nobody that didn't watch the MTV Unplugged Nirvana episode exactly. on MTV. Yeah, um, that was the, the whole the whole series was awesome. Yeah, the there's un- there's some great ones in there too, and then there's some that maybe didn't do as great. Like Eric right. Clapton was amazing, but like Elton John was kind of forgettable. Which you're like Elton John forgettable? Right. It's like yeah, compare that to Nirvana or Alice in Chains or even like groups like Corn. You know, like right. amazing. Right. You know, right? And of course the the Alice in Chains uh, uh, episode was notorious for they had on the the back of their guitar they had written um friends don't let friends cut their hair and that was in <laughs> reference to uh, metallica because yeah. they had just they had just released load and of yeah. course load was the first the first time that uh, metallica had cut their hair and um looked almost corporate <laughs> um a different a different look than what metallica was used to and so yeah that i always remember that from I, the I just like to point out, episode james hetfield has not grown his hair long since you know mm-hmm. um all the rest of them have and to the best of his ability lars grew his hair out again but it's yeah, i don't think he can anymore yeah <laughs> i think <laughs> but if you see Dave Mustaine and you look at his hair and you're like, oh, my God, what is oh, this Lord. reddish yeah. gray quaff? So and that's and, not. And like... if you look and if you look at Lars's dad, if <laughs> yeah. Lars could grow, if Lars could grow hair on the top of his head as his dad can for that magnificent beard that he has. Yeah, it, he would have awesome hair. <laughs> oh, yeah, ab- absolutely. It's it's just good. But... Good. Uh, uh, Dutch breeding, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. But it, it's, but yeah, it's funny the... though because, like, when you're talking about that, you're talking about the idea of like corporate and sellout and stuff like that. And as big as Nirvana is, was, or ever will be, that was something that they were just utterly against. The idea of changing things commercially. He even talks about it. Like, I think he, um, so Kurt says something to Kennedy about how MTV won't let them play uh, Rape Me, you know, because she was asking for yeah. that, like, like during it. And, and it's like, yeah, but these guys never, you know, um, like 
they have integrity in everything that they do and it it's how they want it and it's how they're going to do it and if not they're not going to do it and who does that you know it's so commendable that's an awesome story too about the whole because even though they were a cash cow for mtv and we're all over mtv that um it was the i believe it was the the vmas where they were supposed to come on and they wanted them to play um i think all apologies and kurt and kurt wanted to play rape me and they said just absolutely not well you don't <laughs> somebody who's notoriously prickly you usually don't uh, you don't tell them no and kind of like when ed sullivan told another member of the 27 club jim morrison that he shouldn't say he shouldn't sing girl you couldn't get much higher on the ed sullivan show um kurt kind of went off script and at the VMAs, and they did a an extremely raucous version of "Rape Me," and which culminated in them destroying their uh, uh, the drums and the and the guitars on stage, like Who style. <laughs> oh, um, I heard that recently yeah. went for a lot of money too, actually. I can only imagine um, because that's another one of those moments that is hard to forget. I mean, I, I, they still do the VMAs, but it's nothing like when we were, you know, when we were in high school where nobody missed the VMAs. I mean, you, you couldn't miss it because it was going to be talked about the next day at school. And, and they replay it about eight times too. Oh yeah, no, it was great. And you know that was my first. The VMAs was my first exposure to White Zombie, and uh, my love affair began with uh, good old Rob and his merry group of horror masters, and uh, which I absolutely adore, Mister Rob Zombie, and. But yeah, it's a lot of things, a lot of connections between MTV and and Nirvana that culminated, like I said, in the in the, that live. I believe that I believe the the album from the um, unplugged. I believe the the last time I checked that the Nirvana live unplugged is still the best seller from that whole series. Oh, without a doubt. I'm, I'm sure, you know, you, you can go buy that in target right now on vinyl, you know, it's like, it's, it's there, you know, like they're still putting it out there. I, I've bought it. That's, that's the one Nirvana CD that I own. Absolutely. Oh yeah. I own it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I know they, I know they just re-released in vitro. Yeah, yeah, um, 
in a yep. in a 25th anniversary. I, yeah, they were all over that because we're like old Spotify. now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let, let's talk about the discography because you've got three studio right. albums, and then you've got the MTV Unplugged in New York album. So your your first one, you've got Bleach in 1989. Then you've got Nevermind in 1991. And then we've got In Utero in 1993. And then 1994, uh, you've got it's uh, posthumously comes out after uh, Kurt had uh, committed suicide. 1994 in November uh, 18th. Uh, ex- excuse me, November 1st. It was uh, recorded November 18th, 1993. So it literally took a whole year. They they were not sure if they were going to even put this out when they were. So yeah, and people when they when people found out that they had it and almost demanded that they put it out. And I, I remember the VHS tape was a huge thing. Like people uh, getting oh, that yeah. and. The library had, had it, it, like all that, yeah. Yep, I bought it. I bought it from Sam Goody Music Land. Sam, Sam Goody or Virgin Records mm-hmm. or um, oh god, yeah, all those stores that you'd you'd find it, and you know it would be like super expensive. Now now it's what yeah. Fye, you know. Yeah, I I don't even remember. Does it does it even exist anymore? I don't know, but I'm sure you can find it in any place that has uh, like vintage stuff, like CDs or vinyl places. But yeah, it's on vinyl, it's on cassette, it's on VHS, it's on DVD. I'm sure it's on Blu-ray at some point. So it's like the the I whole experience imagine. is is something to to just like watch all the way through. It's yeah. it's a masterpiece. You know, it is. Well, let, let's truly go is. to their first album, Bleach, from 1989. So you, you've got um, a good swath of, of early Nirvana here. Um, I found some that I like. I'm super interested to hear what you liked on this one. Um, so you've got uh, first song on it is Blue, B-L-E-W. What's, uh, what's your opinion on this one? Does it hit our playlist? Um, well, not that particular song. I, I think it's I'm kind of standard when it comes to this album. The two songs that I have off here are, of course, about a girl. Yep, I figured. <laughs> and um, "Love Buzz" was the other one. Interesting. Okay. That I that I pulled off of here. Um, which ones did you pull off of here? So I um, I actually had "Blue," "About a Girl," "Love Buzz," and "Negative Creek." Uh, "Negative Creek." Okay. So yeah, I mean you can. I, I you can definitely see all of those. It's kind of like I was kind of hedging on this particular album. It's not my favorite of the three mm-hmm. albums um, because I mean, as we're gonna see with the next the next album, I, I mean, what what was this one? It's sifting, is it sifting? Um, strongly reminiscent of Pantera was my note. Yeah. Um, on there, and then there Mr. Is it Mr. Morstone has cool guitar? I put, and then uh, their song "Big Cheese" reminds me so much of Scott Pilgrim's band "Love Bubba or Sex Bomb." <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, wow. Very okay. true. Very true. Those are the notes that I had from Bleach. <laughs> yeah, and and this is one of those. Uh, I remember the thing I remember most about Bleach was. After Nevermind exploded, 
um, everybody wanted to get their hands on bleach uh, because um, it wasn't widely released. It was, I mean, if you were in the Seattle area, you could get it read pretty easily. But outside of Seattle, it was harder to find. And until, you know, until Nevermind it blew up, then the um, the record company at that point said, okay, we're going to re-release Bleach and made it available to everybody. But I remember everybody wanting a copy of this cassette uh, because literally nobody could find it. And it was, I mean, and everybody, everybody wanted it. And there was no way to get like a centralized version of music back in the day. So you, you couldn't go to YouTube and be like, well, at least I can hear it or anything. It's like, you'd have to know somebody who has it and then ask if you could borrow their tape. So you could copy the tape onto another blank cassette. Tape you know, trading, or, yeah. The original, the original the playlist, yeah. That, yeah exactly. Because if you listen to, if you listen to like Lars and them talk about, you know, tape trading when he was in, when he was growing up in, um, Holland, um, that's how he survived, new, getting the new, the next new English metal, was through tape trading. You put a you put an ad in, you know, guitar magazine or <laughs> somewhere, you know, I'm looking for somebody to trade tapes with. And, um, yeah, that's, that's how you were able to get some of these things. And especially too, if you can, and if you can get your hands on some of those original stuff, it's worth a lot of money. Um, I know that even even further back in the eighties, you had to, um, you had to trade, you had to find somebody to trade with to get some of the um, early like Metallica stuff too, like the stuff oh, put yeah. out just be just before Kill 'Em All, like the same um, skulls, different ceremony stuff. And, yeah. yeah, and the one that they were Garage on days. the, <laughs> yeah, it was they had there was an album that was. Um, a mixed, a mixed album. It when they only had one song on the album, but if you can find that now, it's it's worth a lot of money. I did hear about a story of someone in the Seattle area who had a garage sale or yard sale or whatever you call them wherever mm. you are, and they found a cassette tape that had original recordings of uh, Kurt. Um, no, or some of the songs that he was doing. So, you know, and that he ended up uh, turning a big penny on it once they figured out what it was. So, yeah, but, I should say so. It was uh, interesting. That would be <laughs> that, that would be absolutely amazing. Uh, I can't even imagine. <laughs> so it's it's crazy because these guys looks like they've been around since eighty seven, eighty nine. They released their first studio album with Bleach, you know, um, and then ninety one. You've got Nevermind which is one of the biggest culture bombs that I've ever seen. Like it's like the impact of this thing in my life cannot be 
you know, downplayed. It was everywhere. It is, it is clearly one of the largest releases of albums that I've ever seen in my life. Um, it yeah. was a contemporary art. It wasn't like, oh, this is Led Zeppelin four, or this is, you know, the Beatles white album or revolver or something like that. It's like, no, this is brand new friggin' maybe like Taylor Swift is now, you know, or something like, like <laughs> ridiculous, but like everybody had this, you know, right. and even if they didn't like it, they'd listen to one song, you know? Right. And, and I mean, this was like, there, there was two things that was huge at this time that I, I recall. And it was like, Queen had their resurgence because of uh, Wayne's World. So a lot of right. the kids I went to school with had had that, you know, and then they had Nevermind. And it was just everywhere. Yeah. And it seemed like it came waves. It would, the way that they p- spaced out the um, the singles to come off of Nevermind mm-hmm. was amazing. Because it literally made the the album sell in waves. It was like it smells like Teen Spirit comes off, and there's this rush to get the first prints of the of the album, and then they released you know Come As You Are, and the whole yep. and then now there's another rush to go. The people who missed the first time, I gotta go get it now, and so. It was brilliantly released. It seemed because it seemed like it was on. It, it seemed like it was in the top ten for forever yeah. in the nineties. I mean, because of because of the demand and how they released everything. It's but you're exactly right. This is this is a touchstone album. I mean, this is one of those albums that like some of the ones that you mentioned. Um, it's going to go down in music history. Oh yeah, I I saw something where they were doing like the top 100 songs of all time, and number five was "Smells Like Teen Spirit." Yeah. I'm like, what? You know, I'm like that beat like yeah. "Endless Love" and like all like all these these like iconic <laughs> songs ever. And I'm like, I right. I guess they're right, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean. Yeah, because I mean, and I'm gonna really, as when we ask about the songs that, um, that I like off this album. To be perfectly frank, there isn't a song on the album that I don't like. But if I'm, I'm kind of in the same like boat as you. To be honest, I missed three of them. That's it. It's (laughs) one of it's one of those albums that you just put on and listen front to back. Um, but I did, (laughs) I did choose, looks like seven or eight of my favorite. (laughs) Um, I got smells smells like like teen Teen spirit. Spirit. Yep. Yep. In bloom. That's an obvious in bloom. Yep. Um, come as you are. Obviously. Yep. Lithium. Oh, you skip breed. Okay. Nope. I got breed. That's next. (laughs) Oh, okay. Uh, All right. And then Polly. Yeah, Polly's a great song. And then Something in the Way. Um, I did I, pick Territorial I, Pissings. And okay. Yeah. And yeah. I like Territorial Pissings. Yeah. Something in the Way. There's something about that song for me, too, that 
that's one of those ones that you know. Yeah, I really liked it. I really like Nirvana. But then I, I heard that song, and it's like, okay, this is something completely different. You know, it's, these guys. Yeah, these you're, guys you're not wrong. Are, or they're speaking to me, and um, I really How'd felt. How do you feel it. about the new Batman movie where that's the soundtrack? Is is the you know the you know. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting that yeah, and it was in the Batman movie, and you know, and of course now because we're part of that demographic now, where all the commercials are geared towards us, you yep. start to hear more of our music in in the commercials, and um, yeah, well, I always thought it was kind of odd too that Trent Reznor became a uh, musical composer uh, for mo- a movie <laughs> composer. So yeah, he's doing like, the new Turtles movie, man. I mean, he's yeah. he's going back. He's been doing music since uh, the David Finch movies. Yeah. You know, um, oh yeah. They probably Lost Highway back in '97. You know. Yeah. There's. That's an interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting album, but it's it's hard to believe that the guy who who wrote the lyrics, "I want to fuck you like an animal." Yep. Um, as a <laughs> as a composer for a movie, uh, a kids movie, <laughs> yeah, for for movie music now. Um, but um, yeah, no, I, I got a, I got a question for you about some of these songs here. Um, okay. Do you think that there are better versions of these songs, and that's why you're not picking them from the album? Um, like which ones? On a plane, uh, lounge act, drain you, like those. Because I, I just flat out said no on stay away, endless, and nameless. So I'm like, like okay, mm-hmm. you know, just they wouldn't make the list for me. But I know there's a better version of lounge act, and it's live lounge act, and it's live. Um, on a plane, I think is a great song, and uh, and uh, drain. I had drain you on there, but I don't, I don't have to fight for drain you. But um, like on a plane, I believe is is on the uh, uh, the MTV one. Yes, it is. Okay, so yeah, I believe so. Yeah, and I, I had think it on I that have. One. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think I do too. Um, and you know, it's it's one of those things when I started when I started to press save on yeah. songs. <laughs> it's like okay, well, you can't put the entire album onto a playlist. Um, so I had to choose it's, it was just a matter of, okay, you have to, you have to go to the back seat, <laughs> um, right now, but no, I absolutely adore those songs as well. And I can see you wanting to put them on there and I agree and will be more than happy to, to agree to put them, uh, with our list because, like I said, the album is. <laughs> it, you don't can't say it about too many albums. I mean, we said it during Pink Floyd about Dark Side oh, of the yeah. Moon. It's it's almost perfect. It's um, it's a banger, dude. Like I had no idea because I hadn't listened to it in its entirety for years, and and I'm just sitting there. I'm like, oh, I like that. Oh, I like that. Oh shit, I like that. And I'm like, damn, hit hit yeah. hit hit hit. You know. <laughs> And even, oh, yeah. even though no. they're not hits, it's like they 
they still hit you emotionally. And you're like, I am invested in this damn song. Yeah. And, you know, and this is never the success of Nevermind. You know, I there's a lot of talk about what pushed Kurt um, to the edge and everything. And you think about, I think that there was a period of time, I think it was like two years or two and a half years where they were touring every month and they were on tour for almost like two and a half years. And that's a lot warmed up the crowd for them. Uh, hard telling, (laughs) um, a lot of different bands. I'm assuming, um, they had a comedian um, that warmed up oh, the yes. crowd for them. One and only Bobcat Goldthwait. Yes. Yep. Very yeah, they uh, were favorite. One of... <laughs> yeah. He loved they... them. Yeah. And, but, you know, that's, and that's interesting because the reason that's interesting is because bands used to do that back in the day. Mm-hmm. Instead of necessarily, they would have an opening act band, but then in between that would be a comedian and to kind of break up the crowd before the main act went on stage. And that's, it's interesting. It's, you know, one of those things that's a throwback uh, for them. And that's, um, but yeah, when, you can only imagine the toll that the pressure that they had on that this had on Kurt to go that long on tour when the, I mean, that's, that's so um, you, you can't even imagine how demanding that schedule is. And waking up and you don't remember what city you're in and um i mean it was real life turned the page you know right exactly and you know coming from a family that had addiction problems and things like that i mean he grew up in a household that was ravaged by addiction problems um it was in it almost was inevitable and it's as I mean, it's great for us that they produced Nevermind, but it's almost you almost like, did it cut? Did did that burn the candle even faster? Oh wow. Um because I mean and you you know the here's the the another cautionary tale for bands that burst onto the scene with an amazing album. You're second album isn't always nearly as good for a couple (laughs) of different reasons and i'm for a couple different reasons you're on tour so you don't necessarily have the time to create the best music possible um because being on the road isn't necessarily conducive to that creative environment um one and that's part one and then the second part is the the student the label usually wants it fast. 
And so you've been with that first album, you've been preparing for that your whole life. Yeah. This is, you know, we've hand, we have worked these songs to the bone and we got them the best that they can be. And, but you know what, (laughs) when, when in vitro came out, it was just as big as nevermind. And the album is just as good. And that's just insane. Because it's like musically, I absolutely agree. And and I I don't think that it has as many, um, as many hits, I I would say, because I I don't think it did, but it, it, I mean, it has like some of my favorite songs for sure, you know? Right. I mean, so you've got Serve the Servants, Scentless Apprentice, Heart Shaped Box, Rape Me, Francis Farmer will have her revenge on Seattle. Dumb, very ape, milk it, penny royalty, radio friendly unit shifter, and Tourette's. Oh, and all apologies. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I mean, like all apologies, dude. Is like that's that's almost like the Nirvana anthem. You know, I it's it's probably my favorite song. Interesting. Um, okay. Cool. I mean, it this in vitro was not a letdown. There wasn't this, because I, I mean, I remember seeing like Rolling Stone was talk about what's next for Nirvana is, are they going to have the sophomore slump? Are they going to be able to produce the next, the next nevermind? And, um, because everybody was expecting it. And, when it came out, I mean, I'll never forget that. I mean, I'm there the day it came out. Nice. And had to, and had to get it because, I mean, it's it was awesome. Did you buy it on tape? Or cause, did yeah, you buy it on tape? tape. Okay, so, yeah, because yeah, CDs were around, but it wasn't something where it's like, oh, everyone's had a CD player even, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I ended up owning it on both tape and cd but um you can find it now on vinyl but i don't believe it was produced on vinyl back then no it was the vinyl that you get now is because we're old this is the 25th anniversary that was just recently released it was re-released on vinyl it had Mm -hmm. a special edition i want to say it had a special edition vinyl cut of the artwork on the actual record which that's pretty cool. Yeah, they had something like that. And I, I think it was um, like a, a special pressing and stuff. So it was pretty mm-hmm. neat. And I just wanted to, to point out in case um, anyone's uh, confused, because I'm a bit confused. I have this listed as in utero. You said in vitro. Is Am I saying oh, it wrong? Or? No, I'm wrong. It's in utero. Oh. Okay. In, All right. That was vitro. just confusing me. So, <laughs> you know, um, I'm, I'm a little tired, but... Um, <laughs> I have a funny story about in vitro though. Um, uh, (laughs) The reason I got it confused is back in the day, like I can't remember how long it was ago. um, A friend of mine and I went to Peoria to see um, uh, seven dust. Nice. And, 
And this band opened up for them, and their name was In Vitro. Oh. And we had gotten to the um, we had gotten to the to the uh, the venue early, so we were right up on the right up against the stage. And I've been to a lot of concerts, and never felt like I was going to go deaf. I don't know if these guys didn't know how to set their equipment up right, <laughs> but they had all of the music coming out of like four or five speakers right in front of us. And it literally like, we thought we were deaf and it was one of the weirdest concerts ever because, um, they came out with these, um, tin foil masks on. <laughs> I don't, it, it was surreal and it was, it looked like something that, you know, a fourth grade classroom would have made like buckethead type stuff. Um, worse. <laughs> uh, absolutely worse. <laughs> it was all, like I said, it was all tinfoil. And um, they kind of, the best way I can describe them um, was like, they were a screamier version of system of a down and not nearly as good. <laughs> Who could Jeez. Um, <laughs> it was it was surreal so that was probably why my brain is um Terrible. is reverting to in vitro <laughs> so i i apologize uh, i apologize it makes me sound like an idiot but no that's uh, that's, it, no, that's is, totally it understandable is, it is in utero um and we'll just blame it on me being tired so what are you what are you pulling off this album then? Um, well, definitely heart shaped box. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then rape me. Um, it's an amazing uh, song. Penny, and, and yeah. I don't know if anyone is is like if they're thinking about this, they're like, why would they pull that very offensive song there? And I'm so offended by this. It's like okay, sometimes the message gets conflated with what's actually going on. This is an anti-rape right. song about defiance. It's about, right. you know, throwing it back in the face of your oppressors and your aggressors and all that. And it's very much that. And right. if, if you are, you know, like, uh, you know, sensitive to stuff like that, I totally respect that. But I'm just saying it's like the guitar in that song and then the way that he sings it and everything. It's amazing. He recorded right. this song with his daughter on his lap. You know, right. screaming and all that, and, and you know, it's 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 just a it's yeah. a really great and song. just pull up the lyrics. Yeah, uh, there's a thou there's a million different lyrics websites out there. Just look at the lyrics. Um, and, and it's, take this a look is at not the what it's Rolling Stone interview. He'll tell you what it right. is. Exactly. You know, and it, it's another reason these guys are before their time because they were not about sexism and they were not about misogyny and stuff like that. And it's like they're like, no, there's a problem, and that's what this is about. Mm -hmm. You know, no, so, exactly. Yeah. Sorry to go on a tangent um, there, but I just, I just don't want no, people you're, to understand, you know, you're exactly right, and you know, and, uh, it's something that I would have probably thought to bring up, but you know, it's. Because I grew up, I mean, because uh, I love the song, I know never even think about it anymore. So yeah. I appreciate that that you brought that up. Um, 
And then the next song I pulled off was uh, Penny Royalty. Love it. Yeah. Um, I love that song. Um, of course, like I said, All Apologies is probably my favorite Nirvana song. Yeah, that's um, great. And then Dumb. I love, yes. I love that song, too. Did you have you, any you to had, add to here? Word for word, what I had was Heart Shaped Box, Rape Me, Dumb, Penny Royalty, and All Apologies. Nailed it. I mean, that's... Like I said, it's definitely not not a sophomore slump uh, for, yeah. for by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and you know, this ne- the next one's going to be near impossible not to take the whole thing. Well, we may take yeah. the whole thing. So I mean, yeah, <laughs> I mean, we've talked. I mean, we talked about the live, uh, the unplugged live, and you know, the fact that. The fact that it, that it aired posthumously, you know, like I said, there wasn't one person in my high school that I knew of that wasn't glued to their TV that night. I mean, my dad didn't care for Nirvana, but he was tuned in with me. Um, it it was it was so hard to watch. Because he was still alive. <laughs> and he was still alive for, you know, that hour and hour and a half or an hour that it, the, that the show was on. And it was, you felt like you could touch, that he was there and you could touch him again. And yeah. it was, it was so amazing. And to hear him tell the story some of the stories behind some of the songs. Um, it's just, it's a, it's a beautiful, uh, touching, um, moment in time that, and it meant so much to people like me who were so into, so into him and so into Nirvana. It, it didn't make it easier, but it helped, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, and because, I mean, everybody was grieving. And, um, yeah, I, I, it's, like you said, I don't know. I, I wanted to put everything on there. I, I don't see why I, you wouldn't, to be honest with me. Like, literally from soup to nuts, this whole album in order, I would put on yeah. there. You know, like, we've talked about we've talked about a lot of the songs, but I, I just want to talk about a couple that, you know, that were they covered um, on here that was just, just amazing. Like, Jesus doesn't want me for a sunbeam. Mm-hmm. Um, by the Vaselines, yep. By the Vaselines and the man who sold the world, I, I, that is so amazing. It's better um, than the original. It's like, yeah. it's like when Hendrix covered, you know, all along the Watchtower, and it's like, well, this is the song now, you know. It's right. Like, it's no, so, you're. The guitar is haunting in the beginning. Right. It's it's a friggin' masterpiece. 
Yeah, and I believe that's the one that, um, where he actually played the guitar that Lead Belly gave him, the the Delta Bluesman. Oh wow! Um, it might have been that song. Um, you know, and uh, another song it really wasn't on anything. It was a cover with Lake of Fire. That such was a, such a curt performance, too. You know, oh god, that yes. screechy, sort of gravelly, mumbly. Um, way, yeah. where the bad folks go when they die, you know, and it's right. nobody can exactly. do it like that. And even it's, if you listen to the original, it's like, oh, he killed this, you know, <laughs> right? And it makes um, no friggin' sense, by the way, you know, but no, I love it, I love but it, but it's, it's, yeah, and you know. Did you ever listen to the Meat Puppets? No, not particularly. Um, yeah, I think I've heard it's of them outside before, of but... it's outside of my purview. But you know, and I believe the song that ends the album is "Where Did You Sleep Last Night." Yep. And I just, I remember at the end of that, by the time that song was over, just being in tears because it was just. It was so moving, and I absolutely love uh, that particular song off this album. Um, but the entire album is yeah. There's there's not a song that I would skip on here whatsoever. No. Like, and I I can't say that about anything. You know, like we didn't even yeah. do that with animals. You know, <laughs> for Pink Floyd. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, uh, yeah, because even like on. Um, even on Dark Side of the Moon, we really didn't care for money. Um, but yeah, this this is this is as close to perfect as as possible. And um, yeah, there's not much more um, I can say to the as far as the greatness of this uh, of this album. It's it's amazing and uh, so meaningful. I I fully agree. I um I took the liberty to do a little uh, research into some Nirvana covers because this one had those those three or four covers from the Meat Puppets, David Bowie, and Lead Be- Lead Belly. And um, I looked at I'm like, all right, Nirvana must have played some other covers. Who did they pick? Because I'm thinking I'm like, all right, what what did they do? Something really obscure. So they have "Here She Comes Now" by the Velvet Underground. I listened mm-hmm. to it. I was not. I was not as familiar with it. Then there's uh, "White Lace and Strange" by Thunder and Roses. Um, I guess Kurt was really into this this band called the Whippers, which was a punk group. And they had "Return of the Rat," "Turnaround" by Devo, which I was not expecting <laughs> to see. Well, at, here again, that's Devo is. Um is one of those bands that everybody just sees whip it and stops there. But we're talking about guys who, you know, we talked, when we talked about queen, we talked about Brian may being a, um, a legitimate rocket scientist. Uh, the members of Devo, I believe all graduated from Harvard from uh, with high level math degrees. 
Yeah. I mean, they're, they're like, they're geniuses. Um, so that it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me that, uh, somebody like Devo would have, um, appealed to, to someone like Kurt. Yeah. He's got that eclectic taste. Uh, he did a Beatles cover for, um, a uh, possibly unreleased solo album, and it was just Kurt on this one. It's and I love her. So mm. and it's it's kind of um, it's a very slow and I almost want to call it dour take. You know? Yeah, but you you can find that one. Um, I have to check that out. Then you've got our other ones. Jesus doesn't want me for a sunbeam by the Vaselines. Where did you sleep last night by Lead Belly? The Man Who Sold the World by David Bowie. Molly's Lips was one they did also by the Vaselines. If anyone's looking into the Vaselines, they were a Scottish uh, group, Scottish rock group in the 80s. And then uh, Lake of Fire by the Meat Puppets. Those were kind of the big ones that they had. And uh, yeah. let's see. So, um, what um is there any here that you've that you've heard in the past like have you run across these um i've heard the majority of them i have you have okay. i didn't know the the velvet underground or diva but um yeah yeah but here again I, um, velvet underground that makes sense because yeah, it does <laughs> i mean the revolutionary and you know counterculture brooding, yeah counterculture yep. Um, I mean, yeah, Lou Reed and, um, Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground were definitely game changers, um, and put bound, boundary pushers. So, yeah, that makes sense. The ones that were on the, um, the MTV Unplugged, I didn't really think any of these would make our lists. I did like Return of the Mm -hmm. Rat a little bit, but it is a strict punk song. So it's it's yeah. just it's not a really Nirvana Nirvana song. And I wanted to mention a couple of these because there's some interesting bands and groups that have had famous covers of Nirvana songs. And I just want to kind of go through it to, to mention who the groups are and what they covered. Mm. So um, the first one, Polyphonic Spree with Lithium. So mm. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but um, you know. the name sounds very familiar. It'll, it'll come up again because uh, St. Vincent, um, the, the singer, the group um, with the members of Nirvana did a group of uh, cover of Lithium. And uh, St. Vincent was actually in Polyphonic Spree. So, okay. So, you know, that's kind of counts as one. But uh, Tori Amos did Smells Like Teen Spirit. That was a big hit towards the end of the 90s. Um, I, I remember, you know, that was that was one because that was the. A lot of the artsy chicks I was into at the time, like Tori Amos. So, you know, yeah, like girls, Willa <laughs> Fair. Yep, yep. Uh, Jessica Leah Mayfield did the lounge act. Hmm. Uh, Sinead O'Connor did all apologies. Interesting, Interesting, right? Amanda Palmer and the Grand Theft Orchestra did a version of Polly. Hmm. Hole did You Know You're Right. Which does not appear on any of their albums. It's it's a Nirvana yeah. song. It does not appear on any of their albums. Hole is is the only one that that got a hold of that one. So, besides yeah. live performances, so we'll just move on from from Hole because that's the, the fact that they covered a Nirvana song is kind of 
Yeah, a little we'll say bastardized. Well, well, <laughs> a little touchy there. Like cannibal. Um, Robert Glasper experiment did Smells Like Teen Spirit. There's a group called Foe, T-H-O-U, that did something in the way. This this one was really interesting. If you get a chance, I don't know if you've heard of this one, but Patty Smith did Smells Like Teen Spirit, and it's a folk bluegrass version with banjo in it. That was crazy. I, I will definitely check that out. That's yeah, very that was, and, and listeners, check that out. Patty Smith smells like Teen Spirit. I've not suggested that. Well, I don't know. Should we put this? I, I would. I would say not a nerve. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, but um, Lana Del Rey did Heart Shaped Box, and I listened to that, okay. and I'm like, that was certainly an interesting one too. And you're like, I would have yeah. not. That was just interesting. I um, anybody? Uh, I like her. Yeah, no, honestly, she's got this really cool vibe about her and the way that she sings, and I liked this song. I thought it was kind of cool. Um, anyone who watched the series Westworld, right, there's a, okay. a version of Heart Shaped Box that uh, Remen, uh, I think it's DeJuati, did a uh, instrumental okay. version that is prevalent throughout the series. So it's, you know, the whole thing with Westworld. Uh, Tricky. You remember Tricky from way back in the 90s? He did a cover of Something Uh, in the Way. This is is like the most deconstructed, weirdest version of a cover song I have ever heard. So Tricky, you know, um, uh, most famous for going, I'm Colbin Dallas, you know, in in the Fifth Element, you know, but holy crap. Uh, Torch. A group did uh, In Bloom, and then Kristen Herson did uh, Penny Royalty. So out of all of these, there's very few that are like super notable and all that, because like we said, it's it's very difficult to get this vibe that Kurt had right. and to, to go with that. The Patty Smith one's pretty interesting. The Lana Del Rey one's pretty interesting. Um, I remember the Tori Amos one. It's not what you expect, and it's really kind of like dramatic for me. So I would not yeah. recommend that one either. You know, she's like, here we are now. And it's And I'm like, oh, I don't yeah. like this. So, you know. No. And I like other yeah. stuff. I just, I don't like that. Yeah. It's, I, it's so hard. Um, it's so hard to cover a song like that. Um, it almost has to be very obscure. Like Caddy yeah. Smythe and, uh. Uh, with the bluegrass take on it, um, it's cool. It's I'm, like, I'm just saying, yeah. you know, it's it hit me no, off guard, and I'm like, what the hell? Uh, <laughs> I will definitely have to go check that out and um and see and see that one. But you know, it's it's good that they are covering them, yeah, um, because it helps keep keep them alive. Um, and we saw that with Prince, like when we talked about Prince, because there was like right. other groups that he wrote for that, you know, we're like, oh, well, it's not a cover like he wrote it. But that's yeah, like Sinead O'Connor. Song. Yeah. And here we are again with Sinead O'Connor, you know, maybe yeah. not the best writer, but a good singer. So, yeah, definitely. I have a list of non-album songs that appeared on um, like singles and things like that. And I do think that there's a couple in here that should be on the playlist. So we, we kind of finish up with that. Um, so I don't know if you're familiar with these. I'm sure, like, being the fan that you are, that you've heard these. But um, I'm just going to blast them out, and you let me know yes or no. We've got Pen Chap Q. Pen Cap Chew. 
I'd have and to hear it again. Uh, Blandest. You know that one? Mm-mm. Oh, The Guilt. That sounds familiar. And then there's Stain. Okay, now I have heard that. That's, yeah, okay. that's that's good. The next one is called Verse, Chorus, Verse, and it says, a.k.a. In His Room. Hmm. <laughs> Nothing's really straight. Okay, next, next one. Um, you can imagine why they didn't have this on the album. Um, it's called Moist <laughs> Vagina. <laughs> I've not heard that, no. Um, opinion. No, that doesn't sound familiar either. Here again, I'd have to probably hear yeah. hear the songs again. They're they're a bit obscure, so that's why I looked uh, um yeah. I hate myself and I want to die. <laughs> wow, that's prophetic. I yeah, and um, it was funny because it was it was an ironic song. Like it wasn't about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so wow. There's yeah. one called uh Dive. Hmm. And then Old Age. Sappy, even in his youth, the last three you're going to know because I think that they're going to be on here. Yeah. You've got Sliver, so yeah. Grandma, take me home, you know, that, yeah. that one. Um, and then you've got You Know You're Right, yeah, yeah, that's a good one. And then Aneurysm, so yes. come on over and do the twist, <laughs> yeah, that that was probably like one of the ones where I'm like, I had never heard this song when I started doing this. And I'm like, yeah, that's going on the, the repeat. <laughs> so oh yeah. kind of cool. All right. So we, we got a bunch here. So uh, let me go back. I've got them all written down. So about a girl, love buzz, negative creep. Uh, and then we've got smells like teen spirit in bloom. Come as you are breed lithium, poly territorial pissings, because I wanted that one. Uh, Something's in the way. And then we've got Heart Shape Box, Rape Me, Dumb, Penny Royalty, All Apologies. In entirety, the MTV Unplugged in New York, 1994, um, uh, Nirvana Unplugged, in entirety. Um, and then as we get over here, then we've got Sliver, You Know You're Right, and Aneurysm. That's yeah. that's a friggin' playlist right there, because you, you can listen to just the Nirvana live unplugged album you know it's like yeah. that's essentially their greatest hits so oh yeah yeah, yeah. for sure but, um man so um what else do you have to say about nirvana i know that neither of us got to see him in person i don't know a single yeah. person who has you know and that's something that always bugged me i'm like they never came anywhere close to where i was maybe maybe new york that was the, yeah. the closest because uh, i was in connecticut but not a single person i've ever yeah. met has seen them live yeah, I never, I've not, I've not met anybody that's seen them live either. Um, the only thing that I can say is, you know, they're, they're, they're in my top 10. Oh, as wow. far as, as far as acts go, um, it's just because of the impact they had on me. Uh, I mean, I, I can't say much more than what I've said about what a lot of this music is, is meant to me. And, you know, when, when things get tough and um, I always, I look back to groups like this and, 
it takes me back to, it helps me kind of center myself, even though the music may be a little bit darker. It, um, it brings up a lot of positive memories and emotions and, um, a lot of fun times spent with friends and, you know, and of course the unfortunate, the sad, the sad part of it too, but, um, it's great music. It's yeah, really great It was, it was great fun music. listening to this. I, I was mentioning my wife's going to be glad not to hear this in the house all over this. She's like, it's so depressing. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, maybe yeah. you don't get it. <laughs> you know yeah. Saying? Yeah. No, I, I can, I can understand that. Um, yeah. But uh, it just, it hits me different. Um, they didn't mind Prince. And... I'll say that, but like with the outlaw country in this, <laughs> they were like, we're depressed. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, yeah, that's just... definitely. <laughs> yeah, that's I can, uh, I can sympathize with that. And I understand where they're coming from. That's okay. She just listens to Christmas music, so <laughs> that's that's <laughs> her thing. <laughs> uh oh. Yeah. That's that's a fun thing. Um, yeah, I mean, in, in terms of this, I'm I'm really glad that we got to do this to go through it. I mean, the standout for me is of course the MTV Unplugged and the the version of the Man Who Sold the World and, and Lake of Fire. I, I think those are like my absolute favorites out of everything. They're just so good. Yeah. And and I mean it's like, you know, on to, on to the next playlist we'll we'll do so and, and we'll figure out what that's gonna be and let let the folks know uh when the time comes. I hope it you're enjoying this. And um you can you can um check us out anywhere now that you find your podcasts. And um, with that, um, I don't know what what kind of uh, Kurt Cobain wisdom do we have to impart on our uh, on our uh, listeners? Well, if we've offended you, it's all apologies. Yeah, all apologies. And with that, we'll catch you next time, folks, on Generation Playlist. Pardon me. Generation Playlist is recorded by Justin and Ted. Please listen responsibly as we're not responsible for a sudden outburst of air guitar. But you can fight for your right to party. Everyone thinks because you're a zombie, you don't know good coffee. Well, they're wrong. We have very active lifestyles. It's not all wandering the countryside aimlessly or scaring passing motorists. And we all love a good cup of joe. And there's only one brew that gets my seal of approval. Deadly Grounds Coffee is my guilty pleasure. Bold, robust, delicious. It's coffee that can wake the dead. <laughs> With over a dozen different roasts and flavors, Deadly Grounds can satisfy the most finicky of coffee addicts. The aroma is so intoxicating. It brings all of my neighbors out of the woodwork. Deadly Grounds coffee. Coffee to die for and zombie approved. It's good to get a little deadly. Use the front door! so disgusting. Are you a fan of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comic books? Then Epic Tales from the Sewers is a podcast for you. We cover the comic books, video games, movies, cartoons, and anything else turtle related. We talk about the toys, we talk about the cereal, we talk about all the fun things about turtles that we love so much. So give a listen. You can find us on iTunes, Google Podcast, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more. Check out Epic Tales from the Sewers, part of the Epic Airways Podcast Network. Give a listen, dudes. Cowabunga is this podcast for you.
Greetings and Shabibans. We are the Retro Reductibus Cephala Podcast, a long-form bi-weekly show that celebrates all the things that made growing up awesome. Yeah, that sounds good, but I don't know what all those words mean. I think what Parasite seems trying to say is that on Retro Reductibus, we explore a range of retro goodness, from toys, video games, and movies, to cartoons, and even snacks and school lunches. Oh. And we do it all with a positive spin, a slew of killer guests, and some, ahem, <clears throat> very adult language. And you know what else is cool? No. This crazy show is part of the Dorking Podcast Network with new episodes every technical Tuesday. What's that? And if waiting two weeks for a new episode gives you a sad, know that we drop bonus episodes all the time, like the off-format Crow's Nest and an interview series we call The Brick. You can listen to Retro Doctopus on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or any app that's cool enough to carry the only show that celebrates all the things that make growing up awesome.